Praise the Lord. We're going to be in Psalm 71, 12 through 19 to start out this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there now if you like. Um, but before we do, in honor of Youth Sunday, <clears throat> I'd like to start by taking a quick poll. So here's the poll. By show of hands, how many of you, to some degree, a little bit, some of the time, have been scared of teenagers? Okay, all right. That makes me feel better. I saw some teenagers raising their hands. So that's, they're scared of themselves. Well, that makes me feel better because uh, I have a confession to make. When I stepped into a youth pastor role at the beginning of the year, I found out, to my surprise, I was more scared of teenagers than I realized. I, uh, I was kind of terrified. And it was, it was surprising to me because I'm pretty comfortable with people who are older than me. I, I love little kids. I do okay around my peers. But something about teenagers, you know? So... But I'm happy to say within a short period of time that uh, that's pretty much gone away. I've realized that what was happening is uh, what always happens, right? We're thinking of ourselves too much, and there's self-consciousness, insecurity that comes into play there. You know, what, what will they think of me? How out of touch am I? Am I going to have to get a TikTok account? I don't want to get a TikTok account. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the quote on social media. It says, uh, I don't know how to use TikTok, but I can write in cursive, do long division, and tell time on clocks with hands. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, so we don't have, those of us who are, you know, removed from high school, we don't have anything to be insecure about, right? But we are. Often we are. And uh, the devil, he tries to play on those insecurities, doesn't he? He tries to uh, keep us from important relationships, and he tries to keep us away from, sorry, what, guys? Oh, I don't need this mic anymore? Uh, it's, okay, all right, I have a mic. <laughs> oh, man, what do they think of me? So insecure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but now I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> no, we're so, we're, uh, what I want to say is, is, is the devil does. He tries to play on those insecurities, and he tries to keep us from the important work of the ministry if we, we allow him to. But God gives boldness to those who ask. Amen. And so for the most part now, in terms of youth ministry, I'm pretty good. There are a few specific teenagers that I'm still scared of, but uh, they know who they are. I share that with you this morning because I want to talk about uh, multi-generational families of faith. I want to talk about some uh, you know, generational barriers a little bit, but mostly I want to just encourage us to to lean in to being a multi-generational family of faith, to look for opportunities to build bridges amongst the young and the old and to love on one another and put that on display for the world to see. So would you stand with me as we honor the word this morning? Again, we're going to read Psalm 71, 12 through 19. It'll be up on the screen as well. Verse 12, Psalm 71. O God, do not be far from me, O oh my God, make haste to help me. Let, me be let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. 
Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Would you pray with me? Who is like you, God? There is none like you. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory that is due your name. God, I thank you for our family of faith. I thank you for my church family, God. I see your goodness and what you've, what you've provided in a multi-generational family of faith. I pray especially for our youth this morning. As it's Youth Sunday, I just uh, lift them up to you. I thank you that you've brought each one of them into the ministry. I thank you that we can see your hand at work in their, in their lives. I pray, God, that you would bring each one of them into a deep understanding of who you are and what you've done and a deep relationship with you that would last a lifetime. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I really do love that CCS is a multi-generational family of faith. I love when we see the, the nursery full of babies and we see good old Lars faithful to greet people every Sunday and everything in between, everyone in between. Just like verse 17 and 18 says, uh, here, here in our church family, we have both those who have been taught from their youth and we have those who are old and gray-headed declaring the strength of the Lord to the next generation. I believe it's one of our greatest strengths as a church, that, that when people get the opportunity to see that kind of love at work, they're drawn to that. And I'd be so bummed if we ever became a church that you know, only cared about appealing to the older generation or, or only was good at reaching the younger generation. I feel like if that were the case, uh, we'd, we'd just be missing it. We'd be missing God's ideal for the church. And Unfortunately, that's easy to do. It's easy to get our own ideas of what church should be and how it should run. Church is not meant to be run like a corporation, amen? It's not just to, to build wealth and status. If that were the case, then, uh, then the multi-generational thing, it wouldn't matter that much. We would, we would want consumers. We'd want probably you know, professional and career-age people who make good consumers. And church is also not merely a, a social organization for the, for the good of the community and the good of the world. If that were the case, then we'd just want people who, who are good volunteers and, and, and available to, to volunteer. Church is supposed to be a family. Church is family. And it's more than just a metaphor. We are the family of God. I think that's God's vision. I think that's God's desire, and we see it throughout Scripture. The church is the family of God. We are the family of God. I want to read a handful of uh, short excerpts from the New Testament just to remind us of, of this wonderful truth that we are the family of God. So as I read these, let the scripture just wash over you and be reminded that you are a child of God. John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3:1. Behold, the manner of love. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And there's one final one, I love this. It's Jesus himself speaking to the speaking to his followers in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. It says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. 
But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now we can feel a little bit poorly for Jesus' biological mother and brother in this passage, but I think he's he's pointing out a, a radical truth for us to hang on to. So praise the Lord, because whether or not you... Uh, came up in, in a loving and healthy family. If you're in Christ, then you are adopted by God the Father as his sons and his daughters. And today you're worshiping amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ. Today you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are among family today. Amen? Amen. I love that we are among family. We are the family of God. So this is such a radical truth, and I, I think it's increasingly radical in our world today. Uh, in our culture especially our pocket of the world, we're seeing uh, a push against family, especially God's design for family. There was a recent study put out by Barna, and they do a lot of uh, studies about church and, and generations, and, and they found, and this is uh, Generation Z, that's our, that's our young people, that's our youth. Um, they, they said this was their, their biggest, most surprising find in this study, and that it's a shift that Generation Z, for Generation Z, family is not, the major priority. Gen Z puts uh, personal achievement, hobbies, things like that higher than family in comparison to, uh, to other generations, all of whom put, put family at the top. So I know that's a, that's a discouraging thing to hear, especially if, if you're a parent of a, of a Gen Z and you've experienced that to be true uh, in your own family. I know that's not the most encouraging thing to hear, but I pray that today we, uh, we see it as an opportunity as a, as a multi-generational family of faith, we realize that, that as culture pushes this way, there are more and more people, especially young people, who are dying for genuine, a genuine loving community. And we can, we can be that, not because we have the power within ourselves to be that, but because God's love gives us the power to be that. And when they see it, they'll want to be part of it. So that can be our great joy. That can be our great delight to put that kind of love on display for all to see on, about how we are loving one another. 1 John 13, 35, I think this might be my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's so impactful to me. It's so simple. So my question to you is, is this. How are, how are you doing with the whole love for one another thing, especially across generations? Are we, are we taking those opportunities to put that love on display, that genuinely loving, multi-generational family of faith on display, especially in today's climate? Truth be told, we're not always so great at that. Uh, most of us find it difficult to, to love the way that we've been called to love, and, and most of us find it even more difficult to love those who are, are different than us. And, and maybe you're familiar with generational wars that, that are sometimes too common within churches over the style of the music or the, the volume of the music or the style of dress or the, the changes that were made to this ministry or, or this event. Um, that kind of thing happens. Or maybe there's, there's, the, uh, there's the infamous illustration. I've heard it a few times now. I, I believe it's probably true um, that you know, a church uh, splits over, over the, the carpet color. And uh, I can't imagine that. That's a sad thing. I can't imagine that happening here. But what I can imagine is, is that, that generational preference and, and the temptation we have for 
uh, unloving disunity and, and division. And, and we can easily slip into this place of, of uh, putting what we want to experience out of church above loving God and loving people. And when that happens, the only thing that we can do is, is submit ourselves to God and, and be reminded of how, how great he is, how big he is, and then these lesser things fall into place in their proper priority. We want, we want to be marked by, by a love and unity of the body of Christ. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That's what we want to see, right? That this isn't just about getting along with one another. This is about worshiping God. This is about glorifying the Father. It's about sharing stories of what God, the, the great and mighty things God has done in your life to the next generation or to the generation that is older than you that we could be sharpening each other's faith and, and encouraging each other in our walk with God. But I've, I've, I've experienced that this takes a lot of intentionality. That doesn't just happen um, as we go about our day. Uh, to do it well, we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have to be intentional. Uh, when I came on, on staff uh, nearly eight years ago now, uh, Pastor Kevin brought me on staff, and I was the, I was the first millennial in a team full of baby boomers, and mostly baby boomers. And so needless to say, they thought I was entitled and I thought they were out of touch. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. No, uh, honestly, truth be, truthfully, uh, there has been a, and continues to be a, a deep appreciation and, and respect for the different experiences and different perspectives that come with the different generations. Uh, I, know, I know Pastor Kevin was being intentional to bring a young person to the table and to give real responsibility and, and to, to bring in energy and, and passion and, and fresh perspective. And then as I've come on to staff and other young people have come on to staff, I, I believe uh, by and large that, that there has been a, a great appreciation and honor and respect shown for the, for the counsel and the wisdom and the faithfulness of those who are older. So we, so we want to be intentional about that as a, as a team, and, and we, we aim to be filled with the Holy Spirit, instructed by the Word of God when it comes to living out the, these things. The Bible is full of, of generation-specific instruction on how to, how to live this out, and, and, we're, uh, and we want to look at a few of them today. Uh, I'll be looking at some of Paul's letters to, to Timothy and Titus. These are younger guys in the faith, faith church leaders, and, and, and the instruction he gives to them is is great for us. It's inspired for us. So the first one is 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So there it is right there. We're supposed to treat each other like family, with honor and with respect. We're supposed to encourage and challenge each other to live godly lives and to make godly decisions and to use the gifts that God has given us for the edification of the whole body, for the glory of God. I've noticed that it, when it comes to having those kind of sharpening uh, conversations, that, that kind of transparency, that, that speaking the truth in love, uh, far too often with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we choose to, to not engage. Maybe we're, we're afraid of hurting feelings. Maybe we're just not, not accustomed to getting that real with each other. So there's a scripture that's helped me with this. It's Proverbs 27.6. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, 
but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So an enemy, when they see a weakness, they're not, the enemy is not going to point it out. The enemy is going to butter you up. The, the enemy doesn't want to sharpen you. It's a, it's a brother or sister in Christ. It's someone who loves you and cares for you and wants to see you grow into the fullness of Christ. That's the person who's going to say something. That's the person who cares enough to exhort you, even if it's going to hurt. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So may we, Calvary Chapel South, may we be a multi-generational family of faith that is both bold enough to speak the truth in love and humble enough to receive it when someone is speaking the truth to us. I've also noticed in uh, 1 Timothy 5, Paul's not putting parameters on who's exhorting who. This is all about how we ought to do it. So it's with honor and it's with respect. And it's not always, he's not saying it's always on the older men and women to exhort the younger men and women. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.12, he writes to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So I want to say to our youth or younger people who are here with us this morning that we have got to, to take that to heart. And if we're, we're, not, we're not to wait on the biological process of age to be a good example. In fact, we are an example. Each one of us is an example right now to everyone who sees how we live. And so the question is, is not whether or not you are an example. You are. The question is, what are you an example of? Are you an example in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity? Are you, are you a godly example? And I know to our young people that our church family so wants you to be that example. Amen? And then I wanted to take the opportunity to, to speak to those who are older. Uh, it was just on my heart to, to, to ask you, to say to you, um, to, to guard your heart when, when you begin to get cynical and negative about the next generation. Because no matter how grim things may seem to you or, or no matter how grim things actually are, um, our hope is in Christ alone. And, and we, we need to see that hope in you no matter what's happening. And we so need your encouragement from generation to generation. I found that many in our church family are really good at this. I, I feel like as a young leader, um, you know, I, every time I turn around, there's, a, there's an older person in our family of faith who is uplifting me and encouraging me. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that and to keep it up. And I pray that that's happening across the board for the next generation. We, we so need your encouragement, your exhortation, and we need you to challenge us in love. So let's look at Titus 2, 1 through 8. Here is, is more generation-specific instructions to us on on being a multi-generational family of faith. Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, Chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to save you. 
So Paul's writing these things in contrast to, to false teaching that he exposes in the, in the passage just before. And he's saying, those guys need to shut up. And, and Titus, you need to speak up the things that are proper for sound doctrine. And uh, it's interesting that he then he doesn't go into these uh, long, complicated uh, doctrinal statements. Instead, he gives really practical gender and age-specific instructions on behavior. So it's important for us to note that sound doctrine is meant to be lived out in our daily lives. Right doctrine leads to right behavior. There, there are people who love doctrine, and I think that's really good. Uh, we should love doctrine. Um, but there are those, you know, they can fill notebooks full of it, and uh, they, could, they could impress a room with all of their, their long terms, and they could, they could argue their position, position on, on eschatology and, uh, and impress a room. But I, I would propose to you that, that all of that is, is for naught if it's in the absence or, or at the expense of, of loving your family well. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and though I speak, or sorry, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, have all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. So if our doctrine is not compelling us to love people, if, if it's not compelling us to live a life that's marked with love, then we're missing it. So let's, as a church family, let's, let's uh, take Paul's instruction here in, in Titus 2, and let's, let's apply it to our family of faith. And let's exhort our fathers and our grandfathers and our older men to, to be sober, to be dignified, to pursue vibrant faith. And let's exhort our, our mothers and grandmothers and, and older women to, to be godly women and to train up the younger women in, in loving their families well and, and practicing these things which are proper for sound doctrine. And let's exhort the, the younger men to, to live lives of integrity and purity and faithfulness. Amen? Should we be doing that? Can we be doing that? I've noticed that it takes, it takes uh, getting, getting below the surface. And that's the part that, that can be hard. We've got to deal with those insecurities and, uh, and, and ask God for boldness so that we can form these genuine relationships, genuine fellowship and deeper relationships with each other. I was really blessed uh, and encouraged to see some pictures of this happening uh, last month. I, I really saw the multi-generational family of faith in action when we took a dozen or so youth to Spokane and six leaders for a faith challenge. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, good examples uh, from this trip. I'll share just a few with you. Um, the first one is Taylor and LT. Taylor was one of our youth that was up here doing announcements. And uh, she had decided she wanted to go on the trip, which I thought was great. And uh, shortly thereafter, I ended up asking her dad, LT, to be our bus driver. And then as soon as I did, I thought, oh no, what if Taylor doesn't want her dad coming? Which from a high school girl perspective would not be you know, that hard to understand. Uh, but come to find out, she not only didn't mind her dad coming, she was thrilled that her dad was coming. And I thought that was so cool. I thought that was uh, just a great picture there. And then to watch LT um, invest in, in his daughter in the trip uh, and, and just be practicing these things, obedience in our faith with his daughter but, and making connections with her, but not, not only with her, but with her friends as well. Um, it was just, it was a really powerful and, and cool thing for me to watch. And then the next example 
is Linda Chambers. She was in the video that you saw a little bit ago. Linda's one of our amazing leaders. She has a lot of grandkids. She's uh, busy with, with her, her businesses, yet she is fully engaged in the youth ministry. And she came on the trip, and she not only came on the trip, she led our training sessions, and then she walked with these youth, challenging them in their faith, encouraging them in their faith along the way. So I'm so grateful for, for Linda's example. And then uh, the final thing that touched my heart on our trip is uh, my brother and sister-in-law, they were our hosts. So that meant that when we gathered in their living room for, for prayer and for worship and for Bible study, uh, that meant that I had my little niece and my nephew on my lap the whole time. And they were just soaking it up. They were singing with us. They were praying with us. They were listening to the, to the word of God being, being read and um, I think they were just thrilled to have people in their home because they live out in the middle of nowhere. But, <laughs> uh, but I was thrilled. I, I really was thrilled to show them that their living room could turn into a church, church service, that we could worship there together. And they were invited to be with the big guys and the big girls as we talked about Jesus. So all these things, they warm my heart, and they, they, they stir in me a desire to see more bridges built amongst generations, more, more, more genuinely deep relationships that are centered on Jesus Christ. Because I know that when we do that, we're going to give thanks to God for it, and we're going to be filled with joy because of it, just as Paul uh, was filled with joy when he considered Timothy. Look at this verse, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. I love this verse. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. I love this passage because it makes me think of my grandma, Grandma Hooks. She passed two years ago. And at her memorial, her pastor, this is funny to me because she is like uh, so far from the most aggressive anything, but he said she's the most aggressive evangelist and the most quoted individual from, from the pulpit. And uh, I love that. And I'm so grateful for, for the Christian heritage that, that I have. And I know that I, the blessings in my life, some of them come from my, my grandparents' faithful living and then my, my parents' faithful living. So I, I know I'm blessed, and I'm so grateful for that. And I would pray that, that each one of us, in one way or another, could be a part of that kind of Christ-centered legacy, that kind of Christ-centered, multi-generational legacy. Maybe your parents weren't believers. Maybe your grandparents weren't believers. Maybe you came to faith later in life. But here's the thing, that kind of Christ-centered, multi-generational legacy always has to start somewhere. And it's meant to be passed on. Amen? It's meant to be shared. We're meant to tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. So we'll close in just a minute, but before we do, um, right after Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity, he goes on to write, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So I thought we could close today by reading Psalm 78 together. This is a long psalm. We'll only read the first seven verses. But this psalm, really long, goes, goes through the whole history of Israel and God's faithfulness to them. But the first seven verses are centered on the importance of sharing those things with the next generation so that the next generation 
could choose to live faithful lives, to put their faith and trust in Jesus and to obey his commands. So as we read this psalm and as we, as we sing our closing song today, I'd ask that you just reflect on that question I posed earlier. How are you doing loving one another, especially across generations? How are you doing displaying that genuinely loving community to the world? So let's do this as a, as a responsive reading. I'll ask that any of our youth that would be in the room today and our youth leaders would read with me the first and odd verses, and then the rest of you read the second and even verses. Got it? So those of you who are youth, you guys can come out and help me with this. Uh, I need you guys to, to read really loud because there's less of you. Psalm 78, verse 1. My people... Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth to the parable. I will utter to the same Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. He decreed statutes for Jacob and establish the law in Israel, which he commended our ancestors to teach their children. Let's read this all together. Verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. Amen. That's what we want for our youth ministry. Amen. That's what we want for the next generation, that, that they would put their trust in God and that they would know his goodness and that they would obey his commands.